Ladies and gentlemen, grab your drinks and popcorn. Today's feature is about to begin. Welcome to Celluloid Codswallop. Hello and welcome to this week's Celluloid Codswallop and I have been doing a bit of scouting for hedges and I've been lucky enough to catch up with my wonderful co-host Joanne. Hello Joanne. Hi James, what about you? He found me like an old porn maglan underneath a, underneath a hedge in the country. <laughs> I, I love that as a description. <laughs> no. <I'm sure. laughs> Can um, I just say though, not a seventies porn mag. No, with the massive, no, massive muffs. All pute, all beautifully, I'm sure, twenty first century trimmed, and and wonderful is how we would describe it. It's proper quim trim. That's what we like to hear. It has been a while since we've done a review of anything for so like Codswallop, and how did we come about choosing this one, Joanne? Well. Jim has been kicking us up the arse for some time about not doing anything to do with DC, which killed us. Last time we think, last thing we did was actually was Halston, which I was kind of proud of. That's that true. We, yeah. yeah it, was, it was really good. You and your closet close by. Um, although, although we could have DC linked to that because uh, McGregor is in the Birds of Prey film, was it? Yeah. Yeah. He was really good in it. He was Black Mask. So there you go, Gemma. <laughs> Up your bangle. We have a DC connection. And I reckon if we work hard, we could find one with this. Possibly. Possibly. Who knows? Hmm. have to think about it now as we go. So the one we came up with this time was uh, The Princess Bride. But why did we choose this film is my question. As you said, uh, we were getting kicked up the backside somewhat on um, our choice of you know, films all being DC, but what did we, well, was he, if memory serves, you suggested this one to me, didn't you, Joanne? I did because, um, I think it might've been Graham. I put up onto the Facebook group or Gemma. I can't remember. I think it might I think it was Graham. What should we record next? And yeah. people have come up with a whole list of different bits and pieces. Unfortunately for me, some had suggested things like, Human centipede and zombie movies and stuff, <laughs> and me being the coward, uh, I can't. I really can't deal with those. I have a. I have a phobia for zombie for zombies, like people have a phobia for spiders, and b. The human centipede kicks me off when it comes to terms of uh, torture porn. I can't deal with it either. So, um, off the nicest of the off the mall was probably the Princess Bride. <laughs> And it's a film I'd never ever seen before. I'd heard a lot about it. It'd been mentioned to me. I think I think uh, thinking about it, I think I mentioned this to. I actually did mention this to to Gemma. It, one of my ex girlfriends, Beth, was a huge fan of this. Um, I think it was Beth was a huge fan of this. Was always going on about what a great film it was, but I'd never seen it. Um, so in the case of this instance of seeing you keep me up the arse to see this. So thank you for that, Joanne. <laughs> it's you're, um, I mean, it's one of those films as well, as, as we know, probably 
between the Facebook group and on this podcast, it's for somebody who reviews movies every so often, uh, it's surprising how many movies I've never seen. And this is one of them. People go, no way, you've never, inconceivable that you've never seen The Princess. Mm. And I thought, I don't know what you mean. So I was never getting the, the, uh, the that, that sort of reference each time. But I thought, yeah, let, let's do it. I mean, my background to this film would be about three years ago. Uh, after people saying to me as well, oh, you've got to see it, you've got to see it. I'm right, okay, I'll try watching it. And I recorded it once on Sky, and Sky mm-hmm. decided at 40 minutes, fuck you, you're not going to see the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. I wasn't really enjoying it anyway. I don't care. I'm away to watch something else. And so when I seen it in the list, I thought, well, this will be an interesting one because it is so beloved. Of it mid- is. Of massive. Now, apparently it wasn't that big a hit when it was in the cinema, but it's one of those films that gets highly rated in various movie lists for comedies and fairy tales and all sorts of things. And the book, people just love it. It really is, for a lot of people, the perfect movie. And I thought, well, this would be kind of interesting as two people come into it. Years, don't decades after 1987 that it was made to actually have a fresh, fresh set of eyes on it. But when it comes to seeing it for me, I don't know a huge amount of history on this, but I do know that it's it is a hugely beloved film, and it's one of the big pushing things that pushing points that amazes me. It's just the cast. If you look at the cast, and for most of them, they're either very well known at the time, or for some of them, it was their first ever film. Because um, I think for was it. For uh, Robin Wright, it was literally her introductory film. Yep, it was indeed. Apparently, uh, they had tried casting various English actors and they weren't happy with anything. Woogie Goldberg, I think, was even mentioned at one point. There was It was a random list that I'd read earlier. And Susan Sarandon was another one. And they just weren't happy with any of them. And Robin was encouraged by her agent. And she went to the house of the producer and opened the door. And there she was standing there in her summer dress with her lovely long blonde hair backlit by the sun. And I thought, this is it. This is Buttercup. Now, I hadn't realized, actually, I had seen the first the first time I seen the 40 minutes was just around about the time the first Wonder Woman movie was out. So I did. Ah. Yeah, I didn't make the connection that Robin Wright was actually Antiope or whatever way you pronounce her. Queen Hip Replacement's sister, Queen Hippolyta. (laughs) I hadn't realised that was her sister. <laughs> no. it's, uh, so I hadn't realised that connection until somebody had told me because the first time I watched it, I thought it was, um, I thought Buttercup was a bit wimpy. Mm. Now, get into it. We'll get into it. I'll not spoil what I think about it at the moment, but we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, whereas in the Wonder Woman movie, she's a kick-ass warrior. I, I loved her in Wonder Woman. For all she was in it, I thought she was a, an absolutely amazing character. So that was a bit of a surprise. So yes, this was her first movie. I mean, I love when you're looking at it, just for an opening point, you've got Fred Savage when he was but a wee boy, and uh, he's having a, a story read to him by his grandfather, who is played by Peter Falk. And this is how we then get led into this story. It, it's, it, it, what we see as a starting point is a sickly young man and his grandfather read him a story. And then the film is the story that is being read to them. But like, I just love watching this, going from an initial point, I'm watching it going, okay, so that's Robin Wright, I know that person. And then I'm like, wait a minute, 
that's the guy out of it's always one of these things of that's the guy or the girl out of because you're watching you're going the bad guy why do i know the bad guy he's the guy out of fright night oh that's right i've known him i i you know i couldn't place him either i it's the same thing where'd i know him from and instead of course looking it up online I just left myself with, I don't know what I've, I've seen him in something before, because I think I was more struck by, for me, uh, and I'm going to keep calling this guy Indigo, and it's not Indigo, <laughs> but the, the swordsman Indigo, I can't remember now how to pronounce him. Oh, and Tigo Mantoya. Yes, that's him. He is actually in Homeland. I don't know whether you've seen it. It was a great series. Um, about- a, a long time ago when it started out, I saw it, yeah. But I, I, I didn't end up following it up. Brilliant series. He's Saul Berenson. He looks nothing now like he did back then. Because I thought, oh, like, that swordsman's a good-looking bit of stuff. And I started to listen to the voice, and then I looked him online and thought, that's Mandy, what's his name? That He was Saul Berenson in Homeland. Is it, is it Mandy Potenkin, he's called? That's him. I wasn't even going to try to pronounce his last name. But for me, Saul Berenson is the, the angry guy in Homeland who is a brilliant uh, diplomat diplomat, and um, just a, f- a phenomenal character and who stomps angrily through every scene. <laughs> now there he is, bouncing about on his, the balls of his feet, flicking a sword around and just looking very swashbuckly. He is fairly angry in this, though. <laughs> the yeah, that's true. But his, his stomp, he doesn't really have an angry stomp the same. He just flows from scene to scene. And uh, I, I genuinely was so surprised. I had to squint well, to see it was him. Well, when you look at this film, though, just for like, because obviously it starts out with um, Buttercup is with uh, Carrie Elwood's character who has, I'd just like to say, brilliant hair. Mm-hmm. can't imagine why that would, that would res- I mean, it just resonates with me for some reason. I can't think why. It's, I just cannot imagine why. No, I couldn't figure it out either. It did make me laugh when you sent me a message. I knew you were watching it because you said, I really like Wesley's hair. <laughs> he does yeah. this has magnificent hair. And I thought, <laughs> I know what film you're watching. Well, I suggested to you that, because we always discuss the cosplay thing, but you never responded to me on this. I suggested to you that you and I could do this as a cosplay. That's true. I think it was possible at that point when you messaged me that I was bald steep in Queen Hippolyta at the time. <laughs> because <laughs> I've been I've been doing her up a wee bit. There's a couple of just... Mm-hmm. So I wanted to tidy up on it. And it was one of those things I thought, oh, I'll just do this little bit here. And before I knew it, days had gone past. And it's I forgot. Gone night, dark, night, dark. <laughs> it's the same thing. I can't help myself. Uh, but I did. I laughed. I did laugh at the thought of Buttercup. Right enough, I probably have a wig that would do it. But you are perfect as Wesley. And just before, yeah. folks, before we actually started recording, we, we we had a wee chat, James and I, and thought it would be great if he did a closet cosplay as much as he could for every film. Because she did Halston. Yeah, I don't know how much I can like put myself into doing that in total, but you're right. <laughs> it could be interesting to try it. The only thing is, that I think that like doing, uh, for me, Wesley would be a very simple cosplay. And I'm pretty sure you could pull off easily being Princess the Princess Bride herself, Buttercup. I'm sure you could do that. Sure, we'll have a big. Have to look to see if I've a, a suitable dress. I'll have to grow a very creepy mustache, though. Well, that is a bit it's like it's more like the sort of mustache Prince would have had one of these. <laughs> yes, nowadays it probably looks more like sex offenders register than than anything else. <laughs> 
it's harsh, but true. I mean, it, nothing will quite compare to uh, Mandy Patinkin's very strange hairpiece in this film. Yeah, that was a bit weird. I mean, that was definitely very bad 80s hair. I, To be honest, I almost assumed it was his own because everyone back then just had, if it, the hair was long, that they just had really bad hair. I mean, it, 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 it is possible. I don't know, it just sort of sits very strangely, but... Going to his character, so obviously what's happened because we're, we're we're gonna no one's gonna be able to follow where we're up to if I don't do some description. So the the Princess Bride herself, which is Robin Wright's character, has been bequeathed to uh, a very very nasty bit of work in the form of Prince Humperdinck, uh, who is Chris Randon's character. And in her escape to get away from them, she runs into three characters who end up being very well known to people who are fans of this film, which is Antigo. Uh, Tigo Mantoya, if I pronounce his name correctly at all, Fezig and Vizino, who is played by Wallace Shaw. And I loved a comment from Gemma, which was, has Wallace Shaw ever not been an old man? <laughs> yeah, he just looks like a wee bald scroot. <laughs> oh, gosh, but true. But then you end up, of course, seeing... Uh, and I don't think this was one of his first ever film parts, but it was certainly the one that probably brought him an awful lot of uh, notoriety, which was for the wrestler Andre the Giant playing uh, the uh, Fezzi character, uh, character in this. Um, now, interestingly, there's a bit of backstory on this. He was the character, the one of the people who actually read for this at one stage was um, actually Liam Neeson. And he said he went in and basically the director sort of squared him up and was like, nope, too short, you call yourself a giant. I mean, the fact that the director in question for this sort of film is Rob Reiner, who I would never, ever have tied in something like this. A, it, it just amazes me that this is a Rob Reiner film. Yeah, because he did Spinal Top, didn't he? Uh, he did that. He did, was it when Harry met Sally? So whether this was like the, 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 the this big shift, he pro- I don't think he was the original director they looked at making this film. But obviously it really, you know, was probably one of his first big, big, big things. If I'm wrong, Salty Tadpoles, please tell me. But I just find this film hilarious which is not what I expected to find of it. Because like when, you know, when you've got uh, the uh, the princess jumping off like into this, into like the water to try and get off the ship and it's full of like, what is it, like giant leeches or something. And she obviously is brought back into the boat, but it's also like the sheer amount of abuse that the uh, crew are given by Vizini, which is Wallace Shawn's character. <laughs> the way he talks to them all. Oh, he uh, he's just such a nasty piece of work. He re- he really is. And, and that that time that I did see part of it, up to this stage, and probably up until it was up until about the the fire, the far the forest with all the fire, I wasn't really enjoying it. I mean, you were saying you found it really funny. I found it really grating the very first time I tried to watch this. I wasn't interested in it, and I just thought Buttercup was a whip. And every time Wesley said, "As you wish." I thought he was quoting Star Wars, Boba Fett, because <laughs> I have a necklace actually that's that I bought it. I was working at a convention in Aberdeen about six years ago, and I think this is when I st- first started really becoming more aware of the Princess Bride. Every time I wore it, the locket said on it, "As you wish." Every time I wore it, people went, "That's a quote from the Princess Bride." Now, like, no, it's what Boba Fett says in <laughs> um, The Empire Strikes Back to 
detective um, Vader when he's when Vader says no disintegrations and Fett says as you wish. And so I was to me it was always something that Boba Fett said. Uh, and I had seen memes that every time Fett said that to Boba Fett, he was really telling Fett or he, every time Fett said that to Vader, he was really telling Vader that he loved him. So I was very highly insulted that they had dared to uh, to sully the reputation of Boba Fett. But now I can see that as you wish pretty much is a very solid line here for the Princess Bride. But yeah, that kind of annoyed me at the time. So I think I wasn't probably in an appreciative mood the very first time I tried to watch it because I was insulted that they had used unsullied an expression of Boba Fett. <laughs> I mean, what I would say while watching this film also is, because I have it on the background just as a memory aid to myself, is there's a scene where uh, they, they, they're going up a mountain side or a cliff side, and visually, the, uh, it, that is a stunning, brilliant shot. But the only problem is that it then cuts to what is clearly a set. I'm hoping to God was a set somewhere and not... Uh, actual shot where they're all on top of this building and unfortunately the jump between a, a wonderful uh you know shot of scaling a a cliff um it does sort of lose its appeal somewhat uh but we've gone from seeing the princess bride um having lost well believing to have lost her true love we now see that the appearance of the man in black I think that's what he was called, wasn't he? The Man in Black. Um, it was Tony Cash. <laughs> now that would be one hell of a plot twist if it was. <laughs> Tony Cash scaling the scaling the side of the mountain to jump up there and and sing hurt. Uh, an alcoholic, probably coked out, drug addled Johnny Cash. Um, <laughs> he wouldn't have given a shit about chasing after her right enough. He's just been too too off his tits to have noticed anything. But it, it, the, the the big thing with this film is just, I mean, I just found it amusing for the sheer craziness, but I couldn't, what I couldn't get my head around with this is when I first was ever aware of it, I thought this is going to be like some sort of kid's film. It doesn't really feel like a kid's film to me. It feels like more of a, a an out-and-out comedy with child-friendly uh, elements in it. How would you, how do you see it on that way? Yeah, or, it kind of How do you that. view it? Sorry. It does hit that middle ground that a family could sit and watch it, but adults can watch it and still be quite enchanted by it all. It reminds me slightly of when you're ever a kid and you're watching something and you think, this is just fantastic. And you get that really nice glowy feeling inside. And you can get this with this film as an adult. It's one of the few films. Now, you can probably tell the way I'm now talking that I most certainly enjoyed it much better on the second Mm-hmm. Second go, I can now see why people thought this is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, it has. I mean, it's 1987. Some of the effects were a bit cake, but it kind of lends to it. It gives a real nostalgic feeling, actually, when you're watching it. I mean, I was always, I'd always heard about the importance of the the sword fights in this, and you have. Uh, the, the sword fight between the men in black and the sword fight with, and God, I'm going bad on names today. Sorry, and, and, Sorry yeah, I've got to call him. Okay, this is why I haven't said anything. Enigo Montoya, would you? We'll call him Montoya. That's an easy yes. one. So the, 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 the men in black and Montoya having the uh, sword fight was something that was rehearsed to like the absolute nth degree 
to do mm-hmm. for, for filming the scene and it does work really well and what it also really throws you back to is like proper swashbuckling style films and probably that's a lot of what the appeal of this film is that it, it it has I mean like I said it's comedy but it has that that thing to it that to me is like probably if you're of a certain age it'd be the Saturday matinee children's film you know because it, 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 it has all those sort of elements of like the, the uh, Errol Flynn kind of swashbuckling stuff uh, but also the the mad Errol. sort of fanta- yeah the the mad fantasy aspects of the giants and the and the the um, the, the well, I was going to say witchcraft but there's not so much witchcraft in it. Yeah, I mean Errol Flynn it did feel very much like Errol Flynn. I, I loved him. Yeah. He did a Robin Hood movie, and just everything that that man was in was so dynamic. He was an expert swashbuckler himself. Uh, this the, the fencing actually in the sword fights uh, reading about it today on Wikipedia apparently they spent three weeks doing it I actually to be honest the way the two guys were fighting I just assumed that, that they already had maybe previous experience but they practiced and they practiced and they practiced with two expert swordsmen who actually taught taught the uh, actors how to fight in Star Wars and yeah. The, yeah the guys apparently were even practicing after that they were also advised to learn their own choreography choreography so that they wouldn't accidentally hurt each other and be more prepared to react they did they did everything there apart from the backflips so the two the two actors actually did did all of that and they were just effortless i mean they moved from left hand to right hand that made me laugh uh, oh yeah i have Spanish lied words. to you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that i'm actually right-handed i'm going to fight with my left to give him, you know, basically give him a fighting chance. And of course, Wesley, he's fighting with his left. And after a while, Montoya says, ha, what you don't know is I'm actually right-handed. And Wesley says, so am I. And it was effortless. You didn't know that they were they were moving from one hand to the next because they fought exactly the same way. And that's real skill and dexterity to be able to do that. I was well impressed. I do remember laughing somewhat the scene where there's a, the scene where uh, Wesley has like he's had a, a run in with a giant, and then he and uh, Buttercup fall down a hill or roll down a hill <laughs> for the sheer daft craziness. Done that at some point in their life when they've gone ass over tit down a hill, and it's, I could feel every single bump. Being an accident prone sort of person, I felt every single bump going down that hill. But I I read that. When the film when that happened, Kerry Elwes had done something to like he, he bust his ankle or something or his knee, so he had he, he had a problem after they'd filmed the roll scene that it's like he, he's got a strange gait to his walk because he'd obviously hurt himself, but he was sort of like powering through. He didn't want to like he was obviously concerned that he'd mess up the film uh, if he needed some sort of medical attention, so he just sort of powered through and put up with it all. <laughs> Sure, um, Andre the Giant apparently had had back surgery before this, so yeah, he could. He's in a hell of a mess, yeah. Yeah, the, the the bit where they're climbing up the side of the cliff. Okay, it looks a bit naff. If you study that bit, it looks a bit naff. You just have to kind of go with the storyline. Uh, and the bit where he catches Buttercup much later on, mm. that was all done with with assistance because he yeah. couldn't. Big fella like him, he just couldn't take the strain because his, his back surgery had been so major. Uh, he he and, was. He was fantastic as the giant, and apparently he really enjoyed doing the movie too as well, because he was treated like one of the actors and not some sort of freak or some sort of sideshow because of his height. 
Yeah, and there are, there are, well, what it was is for the cat sheen, Robin Wright said the problem they had is that because of his back, they had to literally put her on wires. So mm-hmm. just put her into to his arms that way because he, he couldn't manage anything. And there is part where you can tell, uh, going in with the knowledge that he's got a back problem, you can see it in certain scenes because it's in his, the way he walks. Um, uh, one scene much later in the film, you can tell he's, he's kind of, he's not walking right, he's, he gates a bit off. Um, and so the way he's kind of holding himself, so you can see this damage. One scene that made me laugh that it shouldn't have done was the giant rat. I don't know why that made me laugh so much, but something about it just <laughs> amused me. What's it? Rats? Oh, they had an acronym or an abbreviation, rather, I should say, for it. Um, it was some TLA, three-letter three abbreviation. Rats off. Ah, flip, I can't remember now. I'm sorry I didn't write that down. But rats of unusual size, something like that, and and uh, I thought it was quite quite clever. They um, it was just really naff eighties eighties special effects. But oh, it's terrible! It yeah. was terrible. It's just like some weird giant suit. But it's also the fact that it's like so saying you'll never see a giant rat. <laughs> but you know what? I have to say for for the eighties because things were still reasonably advanced back then. That special effect and the eels. I almost felt that they were deliberately naff, just to kind of give you that how a yeah. child would watch it. Bear in mind, are we actually seeing the story from the grandson's eyes? Uh, are we seeing it through the grandfather's? I think we're maybe seeing the story as the son, as the grandson. Imagine, imagine is it? Can I get yeah. the word out? And, and I think so, you're probably right because he asks, doesn't he? He gets unimpressed with elements of the story, so that can't be right, you know. Uh, he doesn't like the kissing bit. Just like, no, 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 no. I mean, the fact that Columbo is telling them the story fascinated me. Peter Falk, I thought that that's amazing. We have the Wonder Years and Columbo, but you know, the, the, yeah. doing this. Story. But the whole cast is like, it's like after Wesley has been hurt, or Wesley, sorry, has been hurt. Who is it who, you know, he's getting patched up by Al. <laughs> An albino like monk yes. played. I mean, I couldn't. And by Mel Smith. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was good to see Mel. All, all the big names that you you kind of would have forgotten about. Uh, Mel, Mel, for all he's in it, it's it's definitely their guest stars were fantastic. I mean, we have Billy Crystal in it, and and um, oh, there's an archbishop later on. Oh, Peter Cook. Yes. The Archbishop with the with the speech impediment. Yeah, the cast is just phenomenal. Yes, you have new ones being introduced, but you also have just these stalwarts of of the comedy scene. And it, it must have been it, hilarious working on it. Although interesting that I've got that Mel Smith did not enjoy making this film because it used a lot of physical discomfort with the uh, the I think they put. There was something to do with the, the either his eyes or something to do with the, the clothing. It left him in a lot of physical discomfort, so he didn't really like thinking and remembering about the film. Um, but as you said, the, the sheer guest levels of people in this, and speaking of guests, Christopher Guest of Spinal Tap is in this film. Uh, he is the uh, the six-fingered uh, assistant to the uh, the evil uh, Chris Sarandon character. Which 
He's obviously a nice uh, hangover from Spinal Tap, getting oh, him in the cast. Yeah. Uh, it's quite clever, actually, because you only notice the six fingers because Wesley points it out when he's captured, when Robin, mm-hmm. sorry, not Robin, I should say, when Buttercup says that she will go with the with the king, providing Wesley's taken back the ship. And, of course, she believed him. And to be honest, I understand why she believed him because up until a certain point, you get the impression that the king is actually an honourable man. Mm. But the film, to me, almost felt like it was two halves. There was the bit where the king rides off to try and save Buttercup the man in black trying to rescue Buttercup from from three bodies, and it all seems very honourable. And then suddenly, that the film jumps. It, it it's almost like it becomes a second another movie. And this is what I loved, and what I missed out the very first time I watched it. You have all this sort of standard prince and the you know prince and princess sort of feeling to it initially, and then all of a sudden you realise that the king is not honourable. That he wants to set up Buttercup to be murdered. And then to blame a rival nation so that he can start a war. That threw me sideways. I did well, not expect ca- Yeah, it kind of hits a... W- Sorry, I cut you cut in there, John. Sure. Um, it kind of hits a jump after uh, Buttercup's had like a dream where she's been heckled by some, some woman. Um, and that's when you kind of see... To me, you see the jump in the story because, as you said... We have this original feeling that as evil as the, the as Chris Sarandon's character is, he may have some strange good intentions. But yeah, it totally alters basically from that. Um and the story changes <laughs> changes its setup somewhat quite markedly. Yeah. That's it's just felt like a different movie at that time. I, I appreciated that. Because I think if it had have kept going, it would have been quite formulaic. If it hadn't taken that twist, it would have but, it would have remained as more of a children's movie. I think if they hadn't have brought in that sort of darker aspect, you are right. But it goes from the strangest of things because you you have like you know Chris Sarandon's character like sharpening knives and talking to his lackeys, and then it goes to uh, well as you as you're moving further on, you see the uh, you know you see Wesley being tortured on. <laughs> The strangest of contraptions. Uh, the, it, I can't even quite fathom what the machine's supposed to be. She meant to make electric eating him or something, um, which basically kills him. But then probably bring allows us to see one of the greatest characters ever in this film that certainly had me laughing, which is when they've worked out he's dead, they need to take him to someone who can bring him back to life. But it's more the it's like the interjection you're saying about the change of the film is when like Fred Savage is sort of saying what's going on that you know the things of you know he can't be dead you know he's turned to Peter Fell he can't that can't be the case something else has got to happen. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. And the thing about that contraption too that the rig Wesley up to, it was like I don't know light bulbs. I couldn't figure it half a light yeah, bulb. Yeah, I couldn't work it out. Uh, and one somewhere around his head, and it was the worst. <laughs> waterboarding I think I'd ever seen but it was a bit like Guantanamo Bay would have had Guantanamo Bay on the cheap basically but yeah. I do love I mean when Billy Crystal turned up he was he, yeah I think he was absolutely brilliant and I've gathered he he was sort of just left to almost his own devices and mm-hmm. uh, the you know the director 
couldn't sort of be around too much for the, the scenes of the film where he's being brought back to life because he just kept laughing so much at what he was doing. Yeah, but the, 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 uh, the him and his wife, Valerie. They, oh, they, Carol Kane. <laughs> they were just so funny together. Apparently they were pretty much left to their own devices to make it yeah. up. You know, he lived an awful lot. When he said that he was describing something, nothing beats it. Apart from an MLT, I'm putting lamb and tomato. I, I just cracked. As we say over here, I cracked at that point and laughed out loud because his delivery was just fantastic. And again, I was sitting watching it going, I know him. Who is he? Yeah. And that time I did look it up and I realized then it was Billy Crystal. I didn't even know it was Billy Crystal. I, had, had, no, had, I was in a similar position. I wouldn't have known until I, I probably saw sort of looked it up because you do have that thing. With a lot of the people in this film, you think, I know them from somewhere, or they seem very familiar. But again, it's not a surprise with some of the people that cast in this film when you're looking at uh, basically, you know, Rob Reiner's future things that are directed. Because obviously, when Harry met Sally, he brought Billy Crystal in for doing that. You know, you've seen the stuff he did for the people from Spinal Tap. It's a surprise, actually, that he didn't bring more of the actual cast from this into 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 his future films because he's got an incredibly you know well it's a very good cast in this they all sort of play to the strength mm-hmm. apparently they they all got together for meals as well uh it was quite a family a family set you know everybody felt quite connected and there was a book actually written about about the about the filming mm-hmm. it did very well uh i think it was 10 years or so ago one, one, again, here we go, vague as anything. Somebody wrote a book about it that was actually involved in the movie. And it did quite well. It was number three in the New York Times bestseller list. Because, so uh, making us. Mm. Yeah, because it is so beloved. And it, it is evident that everybody had a great time. And in some ways, the storyline... The storyline's a bit odd in some ways. It's not the greatest story ever told. No. But you can't help but just go along for the ride. You can't help but love the credit. I mean, visually, again, I keep going back to that, but just visually, I find this a very interesting film to watch the way it's shot. And like the scenes where they have Andre the Giant um, <laughs> basically set on fire. Because at this point in the film, you know, Wesley's not in a great state, having been pretty much killed, brought back to life, you know, from his excursion to the prince. And the princess, uh, you know, Buttercup is now being forced to marry the cruel uh, cruel ruler that Chris Strandon's playing. To get into the building, they, they basically have, uh, you know, Andre the Giant's character as being some sort of demon who they then set on fire to scare all the people around. Uh, but I love the way that basically, you know, Wesley's, like, kind of partly paralyzed and then having to like move him around and prop him up against things and just as you're enjoying that you see this jump into peter cook playing this bizarre crazy speech impediment uh afflicted uh priest who's marrying them yeah and, and buttercup she doesn't even lucky for her as we find out later on she doesn't even get the chance to say i do because the king is demanded she's taken away to the bridal chamber. Meanwhile, we know that his plan is to kill her later on, but he doesn't realise that 
her plan is also to kill herself later on too mm. because she can't believe that Wesley didn't come for her. I mean, the big thing for her is that Wesley will always come for her, that he will rescue her from this. And that could be kind of quite a, quite a trope where the princess re- waits to be rescued by the hero. But I like the idea that, okay, maybe it's a bit dark, that she was prepared to kill herself mm. because she didn't go forward with it. With him, she wasn't going to live a lie that she would have had the bravery to actually to end it there and then. Lucky for her, she didn't because Wesley's lying on the bed. And I, lo- I love the way he said to her, uh, not about dam- that about there not basically being enough beautiful breasts in the world and not to damage hers. Which I thought and was again, kind of you, smoothie. You do, but you also wonder, is this really a film that children are supposed to love with cunts like that? That's where it has one foot in something that could be for kids or one foot that, that will le- lean towards adults. But I do like the fact that when uh, Montoya is, fo- is chasing down the six-fingered man, uh, can't, get, can't get through the door, that just like, you know, Andre the Giant just like slings uh, Cariellus against like, it was a suit of armor to prop him up because he supposedly lost the ability to walk. And this is the scene where I could tell he's got back prom by, by the way he kind of carries himself to he's walking, but the way he just like knocks the door in just like one punch <laughs> and just like says yeah you know step forward go on in yeah Wesley's kind of left like like a scarecrow he yes. uh, imagining to uh, you know scaring off birds and or one arm up with a sign in it there's something that I have seen something else like that where the person is basically left hanging and there's a sign around their neck saying abandon hope all ye who enter but he, he's it's, I like the way that they did it, actually, the way he suddenly, well, sorry, he very slowly comes back to life. And it takes a long time because they start they start um, checking out the place when it's bright because the, our, our, our Spanish swordsman and our giant have got together again, which I thought was quite a nice wee scene because Montoya yes. is, you know, is drowning his sorrows. He, he feels that he's never going to fight the man that killed his dad. I mean, that's his whole raison on debt. I am it's into- one of the most famous lines in the film, isn't it? I'm a, I, my name is uh, Amigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. Yeah. And you hear that everywhere. You still hear that. Oh, and God. I still call that man Indigo. I can't help myself. So he's he's drowning his sorrows because he thinks he's never going to get that again. And the king has, has ordered the, uh, the forest to be emptied of all the thieves. But Andre, lucky enough, comes along. I, what I liked at that point was it was the sheer joy when the two characters got back together again. That's true. So genuine. It was, it's whenever you see your best buddy and you haven't seen them for ages and you're, you're just so damn excited to see them because you know that you're going to get up to all sorts of adventures again. And, and right enough they do, but I love the way he sobers them up. He just dunks his head in one, <laughs> one bottle of water to the other. One looked like it was warm and the other one looked like it was cold. Before the before he gets the news, then that the six fingered man is actually works for the king, and that was that was kind of exciting, because you knew then that uh, that Montoya was going to go off and try and do the decent thing to, to kill the man that had murdered his father, who turned out to be quite a coward. Well, the way he assaulted, I was going just thinking going back to the, the the scene when he finally does catch up with him, he throws a knife at him, you know, to go into Montoya's stomach. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. this stuff's pretty. Again, I know this is something loved by children, but you've got a, a woman preparing to stab herself in the chest. <laughs> you've got, 
you've got you know people getting knives thrown into the stomach. It's uh, yeah, I, I, I find I, as much as I like this film and amu- and it amuses me. I, I do find it interesting. It's lot that it seems like a film that's loved by children. I think it's only just because of Fred Savage is in it. <laughs> Possible, um, but I mean, when when people get stabbed in this, they do actually bleed. You see damage. Well, did you notice that there's a wee bit of a delay because when whenever the six fingered guy is actually stabbing Montoya, he stabs him and then it cuts the scene cuts out and then it comes back in again and then you see the blood. So that was kind of a I suppose a way of getting around it. They didn't have blood bags underneath the, the characters that were being stabbed, but he gets stabbed quite a few times. Yeah. And at that Ooh. point I couldn't understand how he was still alive. The six finger man gets his face lashed open and then and run through. I mean <laughs> As it should be. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's weird that there are so many unusual bits. One of the other unusual bits about this film as well is Dread Pirate Roberts. Oh, job title. <laughs> and I was thinking you should go for that, James. The Dread Pirate Roberts job. Yeah, no, yeah, why not? You've got the hair for oh, it. I certainly could. I mean, I just have to. Grow the strange prince moustache, and uh... you can just bring out one of your black shirts. Not not the Hawaiian shirt, apparently that you're wearing at the no. moment. But yeah, not the Hawaiian shirt. No, <laughs> <laughs> not the the Sony Crockett sh- shirt. That's well. I'm what I'm going with at the moment is more the radio DJ look. I I, I feel uh, or feel or fear even. I'm not sure which to go with, but it's uh, it. I like the way that when this film ends, that basically, oh, when it comes to the point where in most films, the bad guy would be killed. <laughs> He's basically just like degraded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's spanked, really, isn't he? <laughs> just continuously told, you know, uh, Montoya keeps repeating his line to him. and it's driving, it's driving him absolutely nuts. He doesn't want to keep hearing it. He doesn't want to be continuously reminded. I thought it was mean to because he remembered Montoya as the boy that whose father he had killed. I wasn't sure whether he would turn around and go, I don't remember. I've killed a lot of people because that's something that they often like to throw in. The fact that the uh, that your, your sort of anti-hero has found the one that, that made him who he is. And whenever he finds that person there, well, I don't remember you. So I thought it was good that the six-fingered guy had actually remembered Montoya as a boy and killing his dad. So you, you felt really vindicated then whenever he's killed. You are right. That's more the sort of reaction you would expect him to say, well, you know, I don't know. Well, almost like uh, you see in some, some films where the, you know, the bad guy goes, I don't even know who you are sort of thing. Um, probably you are right. Some of the appeal for the kids, because as the film comes to a close, all the good guys are together, everyone succeeded. And you see, going back to the start of this film, the grandson, Fred Savage's character, is a bit dismissive of his grandfather, isn't he? He's not interested in hearing a story from him. Uh, but, uh, but by the end of it, he's really enjoyed listening to the story. And he's saying to him, you know, if you want to come and read me another story, we could do that. And probably that's a lot of the appeal I would guess to, to the parents to show it to the children, but also what interests children in watching it. Yeah, I, it, was quite, it was quite good because I don't think there's any of us as kids who dismissed the thought of spending time with somebody who we did deem as elderly. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, do I have to? He keeps grabbing me by, you know, tweaking him on the cheek. And I don't like that. Mum, I don't want to. You know, at the age you're put up with your parents, but your grandparents uh, maybe seems a wee bit too old. You, you can't simply get on the same wavelength as 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 them at all. But mm-hmm. I, I did like the fact that he comes to see his grandfather in a brand new light. Now, admittedly, he doesn't realise his grand is actually Columbo. And really what he's done has brought his, he's gone to the uh, the home of his grandson to actually um, reveal the fact that the son, that the grandson's a murderer. <laughs> the one the thing thing I would say though is Peter Falk's moustache was not convincing because he turns to the side. It looks like one of the worst stuck on moustaches you could, uh, you could, on, you could imagine. Well, he's just going to peel it off and then reveal himself to be Columbo. Yeah. Say one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing. And he's got to squint with one eye and point a finger out. But he didn't. But <laughs> as films go, I did. I really enjoyed it. It amused me. Um, We've probably not got into that, like the most amazing detail to discuss this film. But I just, the thing that got me from the start watching this, and why I would say to anybody who has never seen it, they should see it, is just that it, a lot of the time I think it's not going to be what you expect. It's not a child's film so much, but as it, it can work on its own merits as just a comedy. I mean, the fact that it's incredibly well shot, it's... It's well-directed. It has a very good score that was done by Mark Knopfler. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I, uh, I just found it a really enjoyable film to see. How about you, Joan? I did. I really enjoyed it. And it's funny because the storyline isn't, isn't the deepest thinking one in the world. I think it it makes an in-depth review a wee bit harder. Yes. Thinking about it. I mean, because we've kind of like just touched the surface of it. And in some ways, you don't want to spoil it for others either. Definitely there are not. many, many podcasts that have got, gone into this in depth. And don't listen to them because they're not as good as us, obviously. But if you really wanted to, you could find one of those. But go and see the movie with, well, watch the movie. It's actually, I watched it on Amazon. Uh, watch it on Amazon with an open mind. Yes, it is on Amazon. It is, yeah. it is on there. Yeah, it's just I, that bit different. And I was amazed seeing Robin Wright so young because I've only ever known her in films where she's, you know, middle-aged, still looking wonderful. But, um, yeah, she was, as a first film, she looked so young in this. But also the thing that got me, it was just seeing the breadth of the cast. Because mm-hmm. every single person in it, you pretty much know from something else. I would ask the question why Carrie Elwes didn't become a bigger star, actually. He he's leading man material, but he's never gone humongous to my knowledge. Um, I would more know him, or people will probably know him more recently from like the Saw films. Yeah, it is kind of surprising because he's he really had the look about him, and his acting wasn't yeah. bad. He he gave a sort of like slight nuance. First, I thought, yeah, yeah, pretty boy. Mm-hmm. I just find him very bland in those when he was just a farmhand. And then you've seen the cleverness when he became the Dread Pirate Roberts. You've seen how clever he was, how agile he was, how loving he was. There was one scene, though, that kind of surprised me, and it's probably because oh. it's 2021 sort of on viewing. It's a bit where he goes, where he basically calls Buttercup a liar because she said that 
she loved a man and yeah and uh and he doesn't believe her you know he was my greatest love but he doesn't really believe her because he thinks my understanding is he seems to think that she wants to be with the king and that's why mm-hmm. she's chosen to marry him but she's gone no 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 it's wesley you don't understand who's somebody i loved i love you know he was my greatest love he was my true love and he lifts his hand to pretend to hit her he says and he tells her that uh, women where he's from would basically get a good slapping for for lying. And I thought he's gone. I actually did think he was going to hit her at that point. And nowadays, that's just not socially acceptable. I'm glad he didn't. But there was that aspect then of his character. It did make me think. And now I'm going into it now thinking, that's has he done that before? Is that what he became when he was Dread Pirate Roberts, that he would have hit a woman? Because he thought it was justification. Mm. That's kind That's of dark. A, that is kind of dark. I mean, it's there. There are that without doubt elements of this film that are dark. Um, but the, as I said, to me, the surprise is sort of really the violence in some of the the scenes where people are getting sort of stabbed and slashed, and how much they actually got hurt. What is very interesting, though, is. Well, it's not, I was going to say it's surprising, but it's not when you look at them. Carrie Elwes and uh, Robin Wright were uh, interesting to each other. I don't know if they ever became an item, but they certainly attracted to one another, uh, which they said was, uh, yeah, you know, it, it made things interesting when they were working together. They had a good a good, uh, good bond with one another. Um, it's also interesting, though, that one of the, the, the great uh, stories that is known about this film is that... Um, that you look at Andre the Giant, he's a big guy. He had problems with large levels of flatulence. Oh, gosh. And uh, when he let rip, he really, really did let rip. And this is one of the things that sort of like shot people on set. <laughs> he let rip with such ferocity that he was asked by the director, you are right. And he said, well, I am now, boss. I hadn't, I hadn't read. That's one bit I hadn't read. They could have just, could they not have incorporated that into some sort of demon? In fact, it it's really just a- well, he didn't do that during the fire scene when he's on fire. <laughs> Bloody hell, imagine the backdraft there. You know, he would have just set fire to everybody that was around him at that point. It's, yeah, I think he probably certainly would have done. Um, they were saying, though, that in one of the scenes between um, uh, Karel was and uh, I've gone blank on his name, you'll have to help me, the chap who played uh, Inigo Montoya. Uh, Mandy. He, he hit, Potenkin, yeah, sorry, he hit him. Cariel uh, was so hard that they had to shut down filming for the day. Bloody hell. I mean, you can understand why, if it happened in real life, that if he if he clocked you on the head, no way that he kills the Mel Smith character that way, sorry, the I, t- I tell a lie, I've got it wrong. Cariel was, was hit by Christopher Guest. That was sorry, I got the wrong person. So Christopher Guest hit Carrell was that hard they had to shut down production for the day because they had to send Carrell was to hospital. Wow. Bloody hell. It just shows you what, what goes on behind the scenes and everybody has to just keep going. Pretend that there's nothing wrong, that it didn't happen. See, I, I, I still don't think in many ways that a lot of these people are, are as tough as cosplayers. We go to convention I, I, for a day. Yeah. Dressed in something really, really uncomfortable and live with it and and pose for photographs and whatever else we're doing, dicking about. And it's not until we get to the end of a day that we realize, 
our feet are sore, our eyes are sore because of contact lenses, that the armor we're wearing is rubbing nasty little weird bruises and and groinal areas that you never expected or the bits are falling off and you're covered in glue because it's come off on you and ruined everything that you've been wearing. They're not as tough as us. Definitely not. Well, speaking of that, the worst damage that uh, happened to uh, Mandy Potenkin, he said throughout the entire film, the worst injury sustained was bruised ribs caused by stifling his laughter for the scene to have with Billy Crystal. Yes. <laughs> I wonder I wonder how many times they had to shoot that scene. Well, as I said, that uh, Reiner has said that, yeah, from what I read on notes, that they actually had to leave the set because he was getting close to throwing up laughing because the, the amount of laughter he created. He was getting sick. They, they looked he, the the, the two char- those two characters actually the healer and his wife nearly looked like something from the Dark Crystal. Yeah, I was thinking that actually. Actually, there's I've never seen if they'd use the same sort of production, you know, you know design people in it at all. I've never seen the Dark Crystal, so I didn't watch the series when it came out. I think there was a series on Netflix not that long ago, and people raved about how good it was. There's a film I've never seen. Well, I'll add that to the list of films I've never seen: The Dark Crystal. If it makes you feel any better, Joanne, I haven't seen it either. I've gathered it's supposed to be very good. Uh, Challenged or something? One I've never seen. Uh, and speaking of which, I've not seen Labyrinth either. Not properly. I've seen bits oh, of it. Which oh, is... dear goodness. I tried. I so tried. Uh, the main female character is a Jennifer... I was going to say Jennifer Lawrence, but that's not it. Connolly? Yes. I, I, I don't like kids. We both don't like kids. It's the only time I ever watched something and actually genuinely felt very sorry for a child. The baby in it just gets tortured from one part of it to the next. The best bit is David Bowie. The acting yeah, by Foster's face is dreadful. I couldn't take it anymore. That is one I gladly turned off after about 40 minutes. Well, Bowie would be the only unique selling point I would have for, for seeing the Dark Crystal. Not the Dark Crystal Labyrinth. Uh, right, so we've come to the important part of the... Uh, one of the important parts, or some would say the most important part of, say, like Codfob. So, Joanne, what would you give this out of five? I'm just going to say it again, out of five. <laughs> I knew I was about to give you, give you an answer out of ten there. I would say three and a half. Why three and a half? Well, I enjoyed it, but there's just so much better out there. That, you know, well, for me, probably, if Batman Returns is a a 4.9. I couldn't really rate it above a 4. If it was being really, really generous, I might have... G- generous? Generous, I might have given it a 4. But I'm thinking maybe 3.5. And probably 3.5 because as we've talked about it, I've realised that the storyline isn't really that strong. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, but I think it wouldn't be one I'd go back to. Probably. I would probably give it a 4. Because it just exceeded my expectations, uh, it made me laugh. I would also say that I'm very happy that we have found a DC link to this film. Oh, oh! What have you spotted? Oh, it's the obvious one, isn't it? Wonder Woman. Gosh, I gave it, and I didn't even realise. Yes, you mentioned it earlier. <laughs> I feel like it's. I feel like we've, we've been challenged now for a for cosplay and b for getting a DC link. 
Just we so will we... always find a DC link of some kind. Yeah. I mean, there's so much good DC stuff coming out. Just on a DC side note, I finished watching Titans today, season two. And although that season started really badly, it finished very strong. Uh, obviously, what will happen now is that entire section will be cut out when Gemma uh, does the the um, the trimming of the episode. Uh, so <laughs> it's pretty mysterious that it really will. Uh, <laughs> so what I'm going to say is, I think we have been talking enough wonderful celluloid cods while previewing the Princess Bride. So as ever, I have been James, and I've been Joanne, and I'm going to go back and lie underneath a hedgerow. <laughs> <laughs> discarded me for the rest of the day yep and i will come and get you when we need you for the next recording (laughs) yeah just look for the sticky fingerprint